Good morning. How's everybody doing? It's so good to be together. Um, so good to study scripture together to lift up the name of Jesus. Can we give it a, a hand for our worship team and for those that are running tech? Um, so, so grateful for all the ways they're serving and making it possible for us to meet together as a church and encounter Jesus. Want to send love to our church family that's joining us online. We miss you. Can't wait for you to be together with us. If you've been trekking with us, we're in a sermon series studying the book of James. The title of this series is called Authentic Faith. And I encourage you to go to our website and check out the previous sermon so you kind of see where we've been journeying together. If you went to the website, uh, and if you go soon, you'll notice that there's a missing week. There's a sermon that's just mysteriously not there. Um, reason why, when we were preaching that sermon and sharing it, we had some technical difficulties. And I'm not one to over-spiritualize things. Have you ever met people that over-spiritualize everything? It's just like, oh man, I stumped my chair. The devil's trying to stop me, you know? Like, uh, oh, a little raindrop. Oh, pray, the enemy's coming against me, you know? like. Uh, I'm not one of those people, however, I'm also not one to disregard the fact that when you experience resistance in the will of God, it's often an indication that you should lean into that even more. And the fact that this sermon actually, the vast majority of our church didn't get to access it, only a few folks in the room and those that were able to access it, it was a very just disjointed um, broadcast, so to speak. I felt it was appropriate to spend time in this text because, as you'll notice in a moment, it is a shocking message that God has for us. It is disorienting when we consider the context, what James says in these two verses will hit you between the eyes. It's like, it, on, on, on some levels, it feels a bit tone deaf on the surface that James would say this because we're going to read scripture, pray, and we're going to dive in. James chapter 1, verse 2 and 3 says this, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. I'll read it one more time in case you didn't catch it. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Would you join me in prayer? Lord Jesus, we come to your word with open, expectant hearts. We ask that you would meet us, speak to us, clear the debris in our souls that we might truly encounter you, hear your voice. Holy Spirit, glorify Jesus, reveal him in a fresh, transformative way to us as a people. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You know, one of the lasting, enduring, perennial questions that human beings have been trying to find answers for is how do we relate to pain and suffering? It's no question whether you're a Christian or not, if you are breathing, living in this world, you will experience pain, suffering, betrayal, disappointment, hard days, hard years, tragedy, trauma. And as a result, 
we're always trying to find ways to meet that challenge. And so you'll encounter all sorts of like wisdom that people will share. It's just like, man, you just got a white knuckleist. Don't give up. You always got to be hopeful. Uh, what's the silver lining? We, we have sayings that we pass on to each other as we all wrestle with pain, suffering, difficulty. Whether you're a Christian or not, we have answers to this question. You may not even be aware that you have an answer. We all have an answer. When pain, suffering, trial, difficulty comes, we have wisdom that we go to, habits that we employ. We all have our ways of responding to pain, suffering, whether we're aware of it or not. And that's why what James is saying is so shocking considering the context. We've talked about that the the letter of James was written to Christians, Jewish believers in Jesus at that time, that were scattered throughout the then known world because of their faith in Jesus. Persecution caused these Christians to have to uproot and find different homes in different locations. It meant leaving businesses. It meant leaving loved ones. All because of their faith in Jesus put their lives at risk. They're going through a great difficulty, and James right here is saying, consider it pure joy. I don't know about you, but if I'm going through what these people are going through, and I get this letter from James, I want to have some words with James. It's like, what are you talking about? Consider it pure joy. This, take into consideration what I'm going through. How do I consider this pure joy? And, And just to be clear, The word joy that James uses is not probably what at first glance you and I would think he's saying. He's not saying be positive, be optimistic, though that's implied. When he says consider it pure joy, I want to give you a picture of what he's actually telling people to do. In the original language, the connotation, the the way this word has been used, it literally could mean throw a party when you go through trials and suffering. Leap and dance. Now I want you to imagine a very typical New York scene. You've parked your car and you've miscalculated the meter and you're coming and you see one of New York's beloved civil servants. The most thankless job Pray for the people that have to give tickets. That's the worst job ever. I mean, no one is ever happy to see the meter maid. They're not. But imagine they come and they give you one of those delicious New York City parking tickets. They're delicious because it's like a big hunk of steak. It's not a small fine. You ever talk to people in Jersey that they get tickets? Those are livable tickets. You know, like $25, $30. No, not in New York. $110, $115. Just take that. Let me destroy your budget. You know, like, it, no one, when they get that ticket, do they begin to leap for joy. Like, yes, I've missed you. I'm so glad this happened. If you saw that, you would run the other direction from a person like that. You would question, are, are you really in touch with reality? This is not our natural response when we go through Difficulty, when you get a difficult email from your boss, when you get a a not-so-great report from the doctor, when you you hear a a pending or looming job cuts, our reaction is not to throw a party, to leap for joy, 
to rejoice. Yet James is saying, consider it pure joy. Like I said, it sounds tone deaf on the surface. Like how the audacity, where is James coming from that this is what he's saying to people that are suffering and going through a difficult time. But I'll add another layer as to why this was so jarring then and we'll begin to build a bridge as to why this is jarring for us now. At, this, at the time that there was, this was written, there was an existing kind of school of thought, philosophical thought that people were very aware of. It was in the air. It was kind of like the sayings that we say, like, you know, don't give up, uh, silver lining. It, it was in the air at that time. If you were processing difficulty, you had a body of wisdom that existed to help you navigate to, through life. And this body of wisdom, to summarize it, was, was from Greek philosophers, and essentially what it taught you to do was to detach, to disconnect. This is radically different than what James is saying. James is saying, consider it pure joy when you go through trials and sufferings. The philosophers at that time would say, if you're going through a difficulty, here are a number of ways you can detach. You can disconnect. Let me get, get more specific. See, they would argue that the material world was evil. Anything physical was evil. Pleasure, desire, anything that was associated with our bodies was evil. And so the only way to navigate through life is to become disconnected from the physical world, whether it's retreating into mysticism, whether it's chasing spiritual experiences, or getting to a place of consciousness where you could actually try to tell yourself there is no such thing as pain. This is all an illusion. Life isn't real. In the context of that, while people are busy going through suffering and difficulty, and the world then was so brutal and cold and awful on so many levels, this, even compared to the brokenness that we have today, there's elements of the then known world that were so bleak. No wonder people were detaching, disconnecting, not wanting to really wrestle with reality and why that school of thought would have been very appealing. But to them, James says, don't run from it. Don't deny it. Don't tell yourself you're not facing it, that this isn't real. Consider it pure joy. Now before we, we it's easy to become judgmental. It's easy to kind of like pick this apart from a distance and say, why would these people choose to detach and disconnect? Yet the reality is it actually makes a lot of sense why people would choose to detach and disconnect from pain and suffering in this world if at the core of their being they did not believe in a good and benevolent creator of the universe. If you don't believe that the, the one who's driving our lives, who's controlling and governing, is at his core good, that he loves you, that he has a plan for you, then no wonder it would be so easy to detach. And I think it's important for us to just pause there for a second and realize something. Even though in this room the vast majority of us are followers of Jesus, some of us are not, but for those of us that are followers of Jesus, it's possible for you to believe in Jesus 
yet have rhythms and practices and go-to reactions that look way more like detachment that's rooted in anti-belief in God. Where in our hearts and our mouths we profess Jesus, but in our habits, our habits actually scream something else. Because our habits can get us into a cycle of disconnecting, of not feeling, of denying the pain and the suffering we're going through rather than what James is saying, consider it pure joy. I want to ask you, how do you deal with pain? What do you do during a bad day? You've had a bad day. Isn't that the way the song goes? What do you do when life hits you negatively. I'm sure for some of you, some stuff is coming up. You think, man, you know what I like to do? I, I, I like to veg out and, sh and just binge watch stuff just to forget. Or I, I like to dive into this hobby. Or I like to hang out with these people. To be clear, not all of these habits and reactions are negative and bad. They could be positive Yet, they can quickly become negative if we're engaging in these habits in order to not engage with the suffering, with the pain. Nothing is gained when you and I run from reality. You know, the, the, the first job of leadership is to describe reality in brutally honest terms. It's to not shun from the truth. And the fact is, you and I can't live healthy lives until we face some difficult, painful truths. And in particular, we can't live healthy, flourishing lives as followers of Jesus if when we go through pain and suffering, we don't name it, we don't engage with it, but rather we run from it, we deny it, we act as if it's not there, we detach. Why I think it's important for us to park here for a moment and listen to what James is saying because we have just gone through a year and change of time where the vast majority of us, if we're honest, we weren't engaging with the pain of the season. We were detaching. We were disconnecting in all sorts of ways. We were trying to survive. And that was appropriate on some levels, but I need us to be clear. God did not create you for you to survive through life. He created you for you to actually flourish, for you to have joy, for you to walk in abundant life. And that doesn't mean that, it's that abundant life is disconnected from suffering. Here's the goodness of God. God promises that he could root you in him in such a way that despite the storms that are coming, despite the chaos, you can walk in joy. James didn't say consider it pure happiness. He said consider it pure joy. There's an important distinction because happiness is circumstantial. Joy is rooted in something eternal. That whether your circumstances are good or not, you can walk in joy. How many have ever had a day where you were not happy, but you had joy? 
Things went bad, but you were fixed in your soul that you trusted, you knew God was with you. He was going to carry you through. It's possible, and this is what James is pointing us to, it's possible for us to have unhappy circumstances yet have joyful hearts. Some of us have been waiting for our circumstances to, to become happy in order to let ourselves feel joy. But I got good news for you. You don't have to wait for that circumstance to change until you experience joy. You can have joy in the midst of a difficult season in your marriage. You can have joy in the midst of a challenging time at work. You can have joy when things are chaotic with your kids. You can have joy when you're struggling at times with being single. You can have joy no matter what is happening in the marketplace and stocks are going up and down and uncertainty abounds. You can have joy despite the messiness of our circumstances if we listen to what James is pointing us to. So the question that we have to wrestle with is, how do we have joy in the midst of pain and suffering? James is saying, consider it joy. He's pointing us in that direction. But if you're like me, you're on the other side of that directive and you're saying, how do I get there? How is it possible? I need to know what it looks like to walk in joy even when life sends me unhappy circumstances. How many would like to know some wisdom in that area? If we're honest, we say, man, I got some unhappy situations in my life, and if it's possible for me to have joy in the midst of this unhappiness, please, Jesus, speak to me. James is pointing us to a deeper truth, and it's a truth that is uniquely Christian in the way that it comes to us through the scriptures. And the truth is that God is able to redeem suffering. God doesn't deny suffering in this world. God doesn't put a cute bow and a, a nice little band-aid and pat us on the head and, and deny and kind of send us. No, he, he fully engages with suffering. He faces it with us. If the cross says anything to us, it says that God can redeem suffering. God can redeem pain. In fact, look at what the scriptures say in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 to 3 about Jesus. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Verse 2, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. See, what these, these verses tell us is that Jesus himself, in the midst of facing the most gruesome pain and suffering on the cross, where he was violently murdered, on, on your behalf and mine, it tells us that what empowered him to get through that moment was the joy set before him. Imagine this. He's on the cross, suffering, abandoned, rejected, yet 
we're told that he had joy in the midst of the lowest moment of his earthly existence. What was that joy? The joy was the future realization that his suffering was going to lead to our salvation. That through his suffering, you and I could be redeemed. We sang about it this morning, that through what Jesus has done, broken things can be made new again. That was the joy that helped him endure. And so when James is talking about considerate, pure joy in the midst of suffering, he's connecting us to this deeper, bigger truth that Jesus himself walked in. Here's the wisdom that we can distill from this. Here's the nugget of truth, the thing you can anchor yourself in when you're going through unhappy circumstances and you're trying to access joy, you're trying to live above the storm that's coming your way. What Scripture gives to us is this, that if we trust in God's redemptive plan, we can experience joy. When you're going through suffering, when you're going through trial, the thing that makes it possible for you and I to experience joy in the midst of those low moments is trusting that God has a redemptive plan. That God wants to redeem our lives. God wants to make new things out of broken things. God wants to redeem our lives. At your lowest moment in mine, what makes it possible for us to experience joy is remembering, is recentering ourselves in that powerful truth that though things don't look great right now, our God is in the business of redeeming all things. I have a friend of mine who he's directed a number of films and he's about to direct a, a big feature film, really excited for him. It's a hard industry to break into if you know folks that are in film or editing and things, it's, it's just grueling. And it takes a lot of work and perseverance to make it. And I'm so, super proud of him. We were celebrating recently this great news. He's on this feature film. And as I try to pick his brain, and it, basically I find every other job besides pastoring utterly fascinating. And so it's like, tell me more. How do you flip that burger? That's amazing. And what's the temperature of the grill? It all fascinates me because it's not my world. Um, and so I just pick his brain, ask him. And he, I remember he said something. I'll never forget. He said, the film is made in the editing room. I said, how much film do you have to do for an hour and 20 minutes? How much recording? Like, let's say a 90-minute movie. He said, weeks. I said, what do you mean, weeks? Like, you're filming like, a, you know, maybe 20, 30 minutes for a couple. No, no, no. Hours every day for a couple of weeks straight. You go into the editing room with more than you could imagine. Some great stuff, some not so great stuff, and there's always this stress of, will a film come out of this whole process? Can I tell you, our lives are very similar in that way. There's so much content, so much experience, so many ups and downs, 
that for many of us we wonder, how is this all going to make sense? How will this be redeemed? How will we come out on the other side with a cohesive story? And the problem is that many of us are trying to edit our own lives. That's the stress we're under. We're trying to make sense of our life. We're trying to edit the story. We're trying to drive the narrative. But the truth is, God is the one that's driving the narrative. He's the one that's controlling the story. And because of that, in his redemptive hands, he takes your life and mine and edits it and fashions a story out of situations that we would never have believed could be possible. Right now, there's pain that you've, that you've gone through suffering, rejection, that you don't know where it fits in your story. You wish it wasn't in your story. And how we relate to that pain can define our lives in tragic ways. But here's a a different possibility, a better alternative. What if you and I can trust God with the grit, the nuances, the ups and downs of our life, and say, I'm going to walk in joy no matter what I've gone through because ultimately I believe you are redeeming all things. I don't know why you've gone through what you've gone through. I don't know why I've gone through what I've gone through. But I do know this, God can redeem all of it. God has a plan through all of it. I don't know why we've wasted moments, why things had to happen that we question why they came into our lives. But I I have had glimpses enough, enough glimpses, and I'm sure many of you as well can relate, that even though you may not know how certain elements of your story will pan out, you've seen enough of God's faithfulness to know, I'm not going to question, I'm not going to doubt, because I know he came through in this area, and I'm going to trust him to come through for all of it. If you're like at a cliffhanger moment in your life, where you don't know what the next chapter is going to look like, and you're wrestling through big decisions, and, and, you're, and you're wondering. What James says is quite powerful for us because he calls us to walk in a joy that's available to us regardless of our circumstances. Some of the happiest people I've ever met were poor people who'd had deep faith in Jesus. Their circumstances weren't great, but they had joy because they weren't rooting their emotional well-being to their circumstances. They were rooting it to the God who loves them. But James not only tells us to walk in joy and consider it pure joy, he also tells us that something is happening while we're going through suffering and trial. And while we're, we're, we're processing this invitation to consider it pure joy, he says this, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Here's what we don't know is how the story is going to turn out. What we do know is that you and I are being changed through the process. 
You don't know how, which way the wind is going to go. You don't know what tomorrow is going to look like. But you can rest assured this, that if you are walking with Jesus in the midst of suffering and trial, and you are doing your best to consider it pure joy, to not let your, your emotional state of being be rooted to your circumstances, but you're, you're processing this and connecting to God through it. You're trusting that he can redeem everything. What the scriptures tell us is that in that, the furnace of that affliction, Jesus is changing your character and mine. How many have ever prayed, Lord, change my heart? Lord, I don't want to be like this. Whatever that this is. I don't want to be an angry person. I don't want to be an unforgiving. I don't want to treat people like this. I don't want to be rash with my words. You, you've asked God to change who you are. I got some sobering news for you. He's answering that prayer. He's answering that prayer through trial, through suffering, through difficulty. What's happening as we face suffering and difficulty, our character is being changed. We are being made more and more fashioned into the image of Jesus. How does Jesus change you and I? He changes us, our character, our inner life, through the grid of pain and suffering. I knew I was going to get resounding amens when I said that statement. It's like this is this. I, I was waiting for that moment. It's just like everyone get up and just, ah, yes. That's exactly what I want to hear. We don't want to hear that, to be honest. We want sugar. We don't want vegetables. We, we, we want someone to lie to us and say, it's going to be okay. You're never going to go through difficulty. God is going to change you just by overwhelmingly blessing you. That the God of the universe, he has no plans to, to walk with you through suffering and trial. It's just nothing but good. I know people like that. I know folks that process faith in that way, and it's so concerning and alarming because I know there's going to come a moment when you face something that that positive thinking will fall flat. For me, it was March 4th, 2020. It's the birth of our beautiful daughter, Brielle. We knew there was a high likelihood early on in the pregnancy that she would be born with Down syndrome. And so it was a difficult pregnancy, emotionally, mentally. A lot of praying, a lot of crying, a lot of processing, but also a lot of trust. We were trusting God that she would be born without Down syndrome. We wanted an easier life for us, for her. Her life is precious, and she's made in the image of God, and we know she's not an accident. God created her, but the, the reality is she will have a different life. We didn't want that for her. We didn't want that for our kids. And she's born. In the first few moments, I wasn't sure. 
I still think of that moment because I didn't know. You know, when babies are born, they're kind of swollen. So I couldn't really see her features, didn't know. It took some time. And then when the news was delivered, I have never felt pain like that in my life. She spent 12 days in the NICU. The NICU, I think, has to be one of the most awful places on earth to see little babies helpless. I was gutted. I didn't know how to process what was happening. So many questions, so much pain, so many unanswered aches in our hearts. What I realize now essentially, I didn't know how God would redeem things. I couldn't see his plan. I couldn't see what was at work. After processing that for some time, began to come back to the foundations of our faith. I'm not preaching something that I like read in a book. I had to go through the scriptures myself. I had to remind myself, the scriptures tell you, Chris, that God redeems all things. There's a redemption for this pain. I don't know how or what, but he's going to redeem it. Do you trust that? I had to look at the cross profoundly and powerfully and say, if he could redeem that, he could redeem all things. I still don't have answers. I can tell you fast forward now to a year and change. And he has absolutely redeemed our pain in ways that I can't even describe. In my worst moments during the pandemic and even now, all I have to do is hold her and everything gets quiet. The absolute joy that she has brought to our family, indescribable. Our kids have become way more empathetic. We've seen it. And trust me, they're my kids. They need all the help they can get <laughs> to becoming more empathetic. Jesus has done a work in my heart to give me empathy. I wasn't born that way, not where I grew up. You know, my 11-year-old daughter, she's 12 now, came out of her heart. She, she, we didn't prompt her to say this. She said, in the future, I won't marry someone unless they're okay with Brielle living with us. She'll never live in a home. That's an 11-year-old. Have you met 11-year-olds? They are pretty self-centered. That was the most sacrificial, I was like, oh my gosh. On top of that, I, my, my soul was already just enlarged for, for people with physical or developmental disabilities through the work of Do For One and my uh, deep friendship with Andrew Oliver. Now it's gone to another level. When I see people that have physical or developmental challenges, I see the image of God in them in a way that I never could have. Like we're told from Scripture, I, I'd, I'd hear Andrew and I'd see how, he, and I saw what do for one, but it's, it's different when you're staring on a daily basis to the image of God in someone that society would say it's not there. 
I go on and on. What's your pain? What's your suffering that you're tempted to detach from, that you're tempted to disconnect from, that even right now Jesus is inviting you and saying, consider it pure joy. Maybe it's a, it, it's a painful circumstance. Maybe it's a painful person. Do you have any people in your life that are, are difficult and challenging? Guess what? You're difficult and challenging to someone else, so don't get too, you know, <laughs> big on yourself. We're, we're, what's the pain? What's the suffering? That you're tempted to binge watch and numb. You're tempted to drink away. You're tempted to distract yourself. You're tempted to do all sorts of things in order to not face it, yet we're hearing this utterly powerful invitation that's rooted in the redemptive work of Jesus, that Jesus himself did on the cross, that for the joy set before him, he, he endured the suffering. That when we look at the cross itself, our, our faith informs that God is in the business of redeeming suffering, of turning tragedy into something beautiful. Nothing's left out in God's editing room. He takes all of what we've gone through and going through, and in his editing room, he creates a story that's fashioned after his glory. Our job when we're going through suffering is to do what James is telling us. Consider it pure joy. Trust in God's redemptive plan. Know that though you don't know how it's going to turn out, know that he is changing you through it. That if you walk with Jesus through suffering, you will not remain the same. That's how he changes us. That's how he perfects us. That's how we get authentic faith. That's the goal of this series as we navigate through this, these scriptures in this book. We don't want to assume we have real faith. We want to learn what authentic, pure faith is. And there is no authentic, pure faith unless it goes through the grid of suffering. You want strong faith? Get ready to walk through valleys and trials. Get ready to be in positions where the only thing you could do is cry out to God. Get ready to face things that are bigger than you, bigger than me. Get ready to face things that have more questions than answers, but in the midst of it, it's possible to walk in joy if we continue to remember God is in the work of redeeming all things. I don't know what it's going to look like tomorrow, but I know right now he's changing you and me, and that's part of his redemptive plan. Nothing stays the same when placed in God's hands. He makes all things new. What do we do in these moments? I'll give you this and then we'll close. When you worship and pray, we just sang a few moments ago, how do you imagine God on the other end of your prayer? How do you think he's reacting to you? What do you believe his thoughts are toward you? You're worshiping, you're praying, you're 
For some of us, we imagine God looking down at us and saying, you need to get your life together. Uh, it's cool you're praying. That's what you know, people that are jacked up like you should do. But you really need to work on these things. I can't wait for me to be able to look down on you and not see this big mess. But continue to pray. That sounds nice. I'm exaggerating, but in essence, some of us, that's our inner view of God. We, we think he looks down at us, constantly nagging, nitpicking, being unsatisfied with who we are, finding no joy in us. But what we just read is that Jesus, when he was staring into the future from the cross, he had nothing but joy. You realize the moment you wake up and you begin to talk to God, imagine correctly that on the other side of that prayer and those words is a God who's beaming with joy. That the moment he sees you, hears your voice, walks with you, he has nothing but delight. That's our God. That's how he views you and sees you. When he sees you, he sees nothing but joy erupts in his heart. You say, God, how could you be so joyful? Don't you see how broken I am? Don't you see my struggles? You see these addictions? You see these hidden things in my life? And the joy, the grin on his face says, I can redeem everything. He's looking at you, and his joy is rooted in his power to redeem us. Yeah, you're broken. Yeah, there's things that need to be fixed. But the living God looks down on you and says, I can fix it. And I love you even while it's unfixed. The joy that's possible for us in suffering is found when you and I look at Jesus looking at us with joy. When you lock eyes with Jesus and say, what is Jesus smiling at? Why is he so happy? Who is he looking at? And the answer to that question is you, is me. You bring delight to the Father's heart. Even in our brokenness, and it's that reality that makes joy possible even in the midst of suffering. Could I invite us to stand? As the worship team comes forward. And as we stand, could I want us to direct our hearts to the presence of God. He's here. He so desperately wants to take the film of your life into his editing room. The pain that you're carrying that you don't know how it's going to be redeemed. He wants to take all of that and fashion it into his story. Right now as we're standing, could, if you feel comfortable, could I invite you to raise your hands in God's presence and begin to talk to him even right now. Begin to identify some suffering in your life, some pain, some trials. Name them in the presence of God. Face them. Don't deny them. And begin to ask him, Lord, teach me to consider it pure joy. Teach me to access your joy in the midst of my trials.
right now. Help me to see you smiling at me. And help me to believe that I can bring you that much joy. A joy that's rooted in your ability to redeem me, to change me. Jesus, meet us now. Let's sing, let's direct our hearts to God.